welcome to the Mary Jane Experience. Unbiased, unabridged, and most of all, informative. From our mountaintop view here in Colorado, here's how we see the cannabis industry today. Let's look at weed. Let's do it. (laughs) What's up, everyone? Strawberry Sequoia here with Casey Jones and also Julia Jacobson, the CEO of Aster Farms. She is here at South by Southwest speaking on the panel called Cannabis Brands and Investments. We love what they're doing at Aster Farms in terms of providing clean quality cannabis to the industry and wanted to learn a little bit more about Julia, her company, and also what she's up to here at South by Southwest. Hi, Julia. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast. Gorgeous here in Austin today. Yes, it is. Hopefully it stays that way. (laughs) (laughs) So, Julia, tell us a little bit about your journey through entrepreneurship and how you ended up in the cannabis world. Absolutely. So I actually started my career as a buyer for Bloomingdale's. Um, I am a nerd number cruncher, and I also really like clothing. So it was a perfect first job. Um, And while I was in the fashion industry, I realized, um, you know, there was a hole in the market for how new digital influencers and advertising was happening and connecting those dots to retail stores like Bloomingdale's. So I left which was terrifying, and decided to start my own startup. Um, Definitely, I would say to other people who are possibly leaving their jobs, get your other thing going before you quit your job. It's a really really good piece of advice. Um, So I connected up with a developer and pulled together a small team, and we ran what we call the Squarespace of Affiliate Marketing. Uh, The name of the company was in market for about five and a half years. So that was really my first launch into what it means to be a CEO, what it means to run a company, and what it means to start from zero and build something to a real company. Um, So we actually went through the Techstars program right here in Austin, Texas, which is very exciting to be back at, you know, our other home. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so after In Market, uh, ran it for about five and a half years, um, we sold it to XO Group. They do the Knot uh, wedding website and the Bump. We're on that right now. Awesome. That's where we're on. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I worked for them. That was in 2016. I worked for them for about a year. And Sam and I had had already started the little pieces of Aster Farms from far away, um, setting up the entities, creating some branding, figuring out where and how we want to be in this industry. Um, but by 2016, we knew we wanted to be in cannabis. Um, so we founded the company um, in 2016 with our own you know, money, sweat, and energy. <laughs> and here we are today. Uh, Sam and I are both full time. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, that's a great story. Yeah. I love it. A, a little bit of, of what, what we hear from a lot of people, kind of the winding road that leads eventually to this this industry, cannabis, that we're all in. So, yeah, and, very cool. And on that subject, you know, so I didn't smoke weed in high school. I was, I was very cool, but I was mm-hmm. not into smoking anything. And some of my friends kept saying, Juliet, we really think you're going to like cannabis. There's just like some, well, <laughs> weed. There's yeah. just something about this that we think is going to go really well for you. And so it's funny for me ending up in this industry 
also as both a medical user and recreational consumer, um, going from my retail background to then starting a company to now owning a company in cannabis, I really truly feel like my career and life has come full circle and it's great. Wow, very cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah, coming into, can I mean, I feel like so many people in the industry were like, I discovered cannabis at almost even a young age and was smoking in high school and it's always been something. So that's interesting to hear it came to you later. Um, what was your actual introduction to cannabis? Just a friend was like, try this now? Or <laughs> so the same friends, the same friends who were, you know, pressuring me, not in a bad way, nonstop, <laughs> finally said, okay, you won't smoke it. If we make you brownies, will you eat it? Nice. And I was like, totally. Oh. This was senior year in high school. They had never made brownies before. Had uh -oh. no idea how much you put in, what do you do? <laughs> So one of the friends was having a huge all high school party. And before the party, they made me some brownies. And they said, you know, eat a few of them. Oh, <laughs> no. I oh, remember no. done this. I remember the moment in the party where everything just went. <laughs> yeah, almost like that tunnel vision. Yeah, like, exactly. Uh -oh. Exactly. Um, and I spent that night back in my high school bedroom splashing water on my face <laughs> and trying to get it in my mouth. <laughs> So that was my introduction. Um, you know, and then in college, I mm -hmm. consumed recreationally. Um, and, you know, it wasn't a huge thing in my life, but it was part of my life. And then in the last few years, especially as more information has come out around the healing and wellness effects of cannabis, it has become a big part of my uh, medicinal, you know, health and, and life in that sense. Got it. That's a good one. We we actually started our podcast with first experiences. So it's, cool. a, it's our favorite question. Awesome. Um, because everybody's is different, right? Totally. Um, but all kind of similar. It's always experimental. And it either goes like you're in your experience where nobody knew what they were doing. Yep. Or nothing happens. Right. So yeah. it's right. kind of funny to hear first yeah. experiences. That's a good one. I like that one. That's yeah. Good. But I feel like everyone's experience with brownies the first time is yeah. almost similar because it's like, oh, yum, brownies, they're delicious. <laughs> and you know what? That is the problem. There are a few edible companies out in the market who make such delicious products that like I cannot I cannot bring that that product into our home or oh, yeah. I will be tempted to eat like three of the granola bars instead mm -hmm. of half of one. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh absolutely. We review so, products all the time and that's one of my critiques. I'm like it's too delicious. I exactly. can't eat it exactly. and then I can't leave my house. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that's great. So since you started Aster Farms, I guess the question really is, um, how long have you been growing cannabis? And then how long have you been doing that for Aster Farms? Yeah. Um, so I this was the first year that I have personally been involved in growing cannabis and really growing any agricultural product at all. <laughs> um, you know, I come more from the business side of our team and, and the industry. Um, you know, we partnered with a family friend of Sam's, who's my husband and business partner. Um, Noah studied uh, sustainable agriculture at Bard, started growing micro greens in the Berkshires, and then 15 years ago moved to Northern California and has been cultivating cannabis since then. So we knew him as, you know, a safe professional person in our life who we could trust, which is the biggest piece of this industry, especially when you start out and start building a team. Um, and he is just an unbelievable grower. He's our director of cultivation. Um, and so our first harvest in 2017, Sam and I were not involved, didn't even touch the soil with my hands. Um, but this last year, we were part of every step of it from putting nice. the plants into the ground, from coming and helping, you know, throughout the process, fertilizing, 
um, and harvesting, which is not as fun as it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine, though, it's a lot more satisfying to be a part of the actual physical growing part. It is. And, you know, something that we're really fortunate and, you know, in this industry is that every day is different. You know, we spend at least two days of a week of the week up at the farm. And then I'm back in the city crunching numbers and, you know, editing contracts and and doing all that other business stuff. And I feel like when I've been doing our finances for three days in a row, all I want to do is go to the farm and put my hands in the dirt. And then when we're at the farm for a few days and I've been bent over, you know, in the dirt, all I want to do is go crunch numbers. So it's a really nice balance. And and I think, you know, that's really important. I've never, my career up until now has always been one thing, sitting inside at a desk or, you know, doing digital. And the fact that there's this, you know, tangible agricultural component to it, but also all of the business stuff is really what keeps us super passionate. I love that. Nice. No time to get bored. Exactly. Yeah. And <laughs> a, little, a little bit of yin and yang, you know. Exactly. So you have a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah. yeah. That's good. So one of the things I love about your company's mission statement, at least what it appears to be online, because that's about the extent of my knowledge so far, um, is that you want to grow really clean, clean genetics, uh, cultivation methods. So I just wanted to learn a little bit more about that, why it's important to you. Absolutely. So this was actually one of the reasons that we started Aster Farms. Um, you know, Sam and I were starting to use it uh, cannabis medicinally. And in the topical space, you know, there was Parker uh, Parker and Barkley, Park and Barkley. I'm going to forget that name. Um, there were a couple brands that had really beautiful design. Their product didn't smell like we like. It, it all kind of was a premium consumer experience. We didn't see that as much in the flower space, um, which is interesting because flower in itself is so pure. Um, yeah. There should be a brand behind it that has those ideals as well. Um, and for the most part, there was either the Hermes of cannabis flower. Or you're talking about a bottle that says like Kush Tastic 420 with like marijuana leaves all over it, yeah. and so we didn't we didn't see the in between. Um, mm. You know, Sam and I are both conscious consumers. We shop at Whole Foods. Um, you know, we use Mrs. Meyer's cleaning products. We drink Tito's vodka. Um, so there's definitely that kind of demographic that we see, and that's that's really who our user is. Um, somebody who is conscious, engaged, educated, and cares about what's in their weed. Um, you know, we believe our thesis is that as soon as the novelty of legal cannabis wears off, people are going to care about what's in their weed as much as they care about what's in their water, what's in their food, oh, yeah. what are, what's in the products they're putting on them. Yeah. Um, so that is hugely important to us, just kind of as the basis for why we even started this brand. Absolutely. Definitely. And we've started seeing that even in uh, <clears throat> Colorado. We recently went and saw or heard a, a talk and they were talking about how the you know, the, the hype has almost started to wear off and everybody's coming, becoming very conscious. It's no longer a THC arms war anymore. It's a conscious consumer war. You know, it's, it's targeting people just like what you're talking about. So totally. Yeah, I think you're right there on, on the ball. Um, and, you know, going hand in hand with that is growing organic yeah. product. So you can't, it's, we, we cannot call it organic because that is through the FDA. Yep. So it's illegal. Um, but we do grow organically and we have something called clean green certification, which is oh, like okay. the cannabis equivalent of organic. Um, but not only in terms of those ethos and what we built the brand on, not only did we want to grow 
organic product, we also wanted to grow it in a sustainable way. Yeah. And one of the most interesting things about cannabis is people always say, what's going to happen when big ag comes in? Cannabis in and of itself as a plant is really sustainable. It's one of the most carbon sequestering plants out there. So it's actually pulling CO2 out of the air and putting it in the ground and storing it. Um, it was actually used at Chernobyl to clean up the, the contaminated soil. Interesting. So it sucks yeah. stuff up out of the ground. Um, and, you know, a, an acre of cannabis, depending on what market you're in, can be worth anywhere from one to five million dollars. An wow. acre of corn is worth six hundred and forty four dollars. Whoa. So the vol, you know, the the amount that you get out per square foot is in itself sustainable because you won't need to have twenty acres per farm mm. of like rolling fields of cannabis. It just doesn't it doesn't take that much. Um, and when you grow it properly and sustainably, it's both good for the soil and good for the environment and good for people. Um, so again, that's something that really ties into who we are and what we wanted our brand to be. Um, so Noah has been cultivating on his property, um, which we have leased uh, for the last eight, 10 years. And so the soil is really rich, really complex in terms of like the insect um, biology and the nutrients and whatnot. And so we grow our cannabis right in the ground um, you know, our, our Maui OG goes in the same row every year um, in the same ground. And so we actually get a better cannabinoid profile and a better, um, better terpens from that. You know, terroir is an actual thing in cannabis for mm -hmm. those of us who are growing in ground. Um, you don't get the same kind of uh, healing effects from indoor light than you do from full spectrum sunlight. Um, you don't get the terpenes when you don't have like that rich soil and like biodiversity. So growing outside in and of itself is actually making better cannabis. There's just a stigma. There's been a wow. stigma for the last few years that indoor cannabis is better. And the only reason there's that stigma is that Federal, federal prohibition has pushed all the growers either deep into the redwood forests of Humboldt or inside warehouse buildings because it was hidden then and you couldn't get in trouble. Um, neither, the redwoods of Humboldt are really damp. It's not actually a good place to grow weed <laughs> at all. And indoor cannabis is all hydroponics. Like you're not getting this full sunlight. You're not getting yeah. all of those nutrients and everything. Um, so, you know, because of that, that's the weed people knew indoor crystals okay. all over yeah, it yeah, smells yeah. good etc so there's just this assumption that indoor is more potent um, has higher thc but what we are proving at aster farms is that you can still get 26 percent thc growing totally organically in the ground with just sunlight and water yeah that's bad. So we are out there trying to change that perception there you go yeah, That's it's fascinating. Awesome. I didn't know that about the terpene levels and, and things like that, which are more and more as, again, the consumers are getting more conscious about the products they consume. People are starting to care more about that, less about, you know, well, is it going to make me sleepy or active? Is right. it? It's more about the full spectrum. Exactly. So that is so interesting and cool to yeah. hear. I love yeah, that. And that then awesome. on like a sustainable level, um, we only use organic inputs. Um, really low input, high output. Um, and so one thing that we're working on is actually getting the cost of cultivation down about 10x. Um, wow. Because when you grow outside and your soil's amazing, it doesn't actually take that much to grow. So it, it's interesting. We're trying to spread that message in the industry that the best product, the best way for the environment to grow is outdoor in ground. 
Nice. Oh, very cool. Yeah, well, and that's good to know for personal growers, for people that maybe just want to do it on a small scale just for fun. Um, I've always thought about doing that, um, especially for the more organic, just knowing nobody's like handling it with chemicals. Um, put it in the ground. Yep. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> So, speaking of your farm, can you tell us a little bit about Harry's Harvest? Absolutely. So, um, on July 27th of this last year, the Mendocino Complex fire broke out about a mile down the road from us. Uh, Sam and I were actually on property, packaging, doing some inventory, and stepped out for a break and saw a huge plume coming over the ridge behind us. Scary. Um, and so for about three days, the fire was kind of moving a, like a right around us. It was just skipping us um, mm. and moving northeast away from our farm. So we spent three days making sure the sprinklers were on on the roof of the house, you know, getting, getting the entire property fire ready. Um, on the third day, the winds shifted and the fire just engulfed our entire neighborhood. Um, so we had mandatory evacuation. Um, you know, all we could do was turn the sprinklers on in the house and turn the irrigation on in the fields and walk away. Um, a really unfortunate part about farming is that your animals live outside and they don't necessarily come when you need them. Um, so we have two farm dogs um, and three farm cats um, that are indoor-outdoor. Yeah. We found both of the dogs and we found two of the cats. Um, but Harry, who was one of the favorite farm cats, half bobcat, um, was nowhere to be found. I'm literally going to start crying. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and having to leave, knowing that you're leaving an animal that you love in harm's way, is just the worst experience I've ever had in my life. I can't imagine. Um, Jeez. So we finally were allowed back onto the property after about 10 days. Um, out of 600 plants, only 13 of our plants survived. Noah's family's house was completely burned down to the ground. Um, luckily, we hadn't built our process processing facility. There were some structures that we hadn't erected yet. So that would have been hundreds of thousands of dollars of damage yeah. in and of itself. So it was the right time, right year for this to happen. Um, but we still have not found Harry. We think he's just, he's a badass, you know? Like, he's half bobcat. Yeah. He's out there, hopefully living some really badass bobcat life. Yeah. And maybe yeah, yeah. one day he'll make it back to the farm. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at, in the aftermath, the cannabis community and just the local community really rallied behind us. Um, there was a nursery down in Salinas that heard that we were hit, and they donated 400 plants. Oh, wow. Our distributor drove all the way down there, picked them up, and came all the way back, literally helping us unload plants at 9 p.m. in pitch dark on our farm. <laughs> wow. um, and the community did as well. We had people, field and rescue, local um, shelter volunteers putting up Tra you know, cameras, like cat cam animal cameras and oh. traps and food. And there was somebody every single day going to look for Harry. Wow. And it was just really incredible how the community rallied around us. And we decided that we wanted to give back. Um, an interesting part of that is it's really hard to give back as a cannabis brand. Wow. Yeah, um, for, <clears throat> for For all manner of legal reason, I can imagine. Exactly. You know? So for any organization, so there was one organization in our county that has done really amazing job helping people get back on their feet after the fire. 
they take federal funds for one of their programs. Oh. And so if they took our cannabis money as a donation, they would be risking, you know, having their yeah, funds. It, yeah, basically. exactly. Um, and so it all kind of was fate that we were first looking at these, you know, uh, NGOs trying to figure out how we can donate. And then it kind of all looped back to the volunteer firefighters. They were very happy to take our donations. <laughs> you know, they yeah. exist Perfect. on donations. Yeah. That's how they're able to keep doing their job. And the, the part that was fate is that if, there, if there's anyone that we want to support, it's those volunteers who left their homes and were fighting to save ours yeah. while their own home was burning down. Yeah. And wow. who do that not as a job, but as, you know, part of their way to give back to the community. Um, so we set up Harry's Harvest. It is a give back program that we're going to continue indefinitely at Astor Farms, um, obviously named after Harry. Mm -hmm. It is a five pack of pre-rolls okay. and $2 of every sale uh, Astor Farms donates to a volunteer fire department. Nice. Very cool. Um, so our first two fire departments were Hopland, which is in uh, Mendocino, where part of the Mendocino complex fire started, and in Lakeport, which is in Lake County, where our farm is, and the other side of the Mendocino complex fire started. Got it. Very cool. Going forward, we want to continue this program. It's not necessarily going to be about fire relief, um, you know, helping battle the opioid crisis, especially in the county that we live in, um, you know, helping support veterans, um, you know, doing environmental work. They're helping social injustice. People get back on their feet who were persecuted by the cannabis drug war and so should important. now have a chance to be part of it. So there's so many organizations that we want to support. And we think, you know, we have been given an amazing opportunity by our community to grow cannabis and to make this build business. And so we will always be giving back. And so that's wow. what Harry's Harvest is. That's awesome. And and yeah. I mean, that's an incredible story. First and foremost, sorry that you had to go through that. That's I mean, we've heard multiple stories from friends and, and people in the area, just how crazy that, you know, fires can be out there, right? And how devastating they can. But one of the things that we've discovered in the cannabis industry is its ability to give back and support. Like it, it really is incredible, you know, how often people are so willing to lend a helping hand even to us as a pet yeah. project, yeah. right? So so that's incredible to hear another even more impactful and even more kind of a personal story to you. So Abs that's, yeah. that's, in, that's crazy. I, I'm, I can't believe that happened to you first and foremost, but it was you know, glad completely it traumatic. And, and luckily the entire, you know, mountain range around us also burned down. So we are fire safe for about 20 to 30 more years. Sam's back. Um, <laughs> hey Sam. Hi Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Sam just walked in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but all in good. terms of, you know, all the support, the cannabis industry is really unique in that there isn't, nobody feels competition in the way that you do in other industries. Yeah. Like when I was in tech, you live and die by your NDA, your privacy policy, yeah, exactly. yeah. not giving yeah, up yeah, your yeah, secrets. Yeah. And, you know, luckily we are in a space where there is going to be, you know, think of the beer um, industry. There are thousands of brands that are all successful. There are gonna to be tons of winners in this game. And so what we found is that, you know, people, the community really comes together. There isn't competition. Like tomorrow I'm speaking on a panel with Old Pal. They are mm -hmm. technically a competitor to us in the sense that they sell flour in California. 
there we are in such different worlds in terms of flower that there's yeah. a place for them and there's a place for us and partnering together only makes you know all the boats are lifted rising tides lift all boat, boats yeah, or whatever yeah, that, that phrase is yeah definitely <laughs> well speaking of the industry in comparison to the tech industry i wanted to ask you about your role in the industry as a woman and in comparing that to how you felt in the tech industry as a woman that is a great question, and it's actually something that a lot of people are really interested in. Um, you know, the cannabis industry, I'm, I, I don't know this stat 100%, so I'm going to say it, but somebody should, should check it. Um, I believe that 36% of executives in cannabis right now are women. Thanks. Wow. And that is, that is much higher than in any other industry, especially tech. Um, and a lot of people, like I'm running this company with my husband. There are a lot of couples in this industry. There yeah. are a lot of families in this industry. So really, I think just because of where it came from and the people who were able to participate in the medicinal um, cannabis in the past, it's it's really diverse. Yeah. And it, and it seems to come from like a caretaking aspect. A lot of Absolutely. people we talk to, it's always, it comes back slightly to medicine and medicinal and and caretaking in a way, so absolutely, I think that that could have something to do with it. But it's very interesting to hear that, and we'll 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 double check that because I think you're right. I think that's that's right. It's yeah. something Sounds like right. that, yeah. <laughs> but you know, in the tech world, I was I was seeing sex, feel, feeling and hearing and seeing sexism on so many levels. It was really tough. Um, I'll just yeah. give one example that happened right here in Austin, Texas. Um, at the end of Techstars, you have a big demo day where a thousand investors come and watch you on stage and you have five minutes to pitch your idea. And of my class, three out of the 10 CEOs were women. And this was the highest percentage of women of any Techstars class at that point. And I remember we like huddled up one day in the office and for some reason, I will always regret this, the three of us decided, let's not wear jeans and like our company t-shirts like everybody else does, let's wear dresses. After the demos, you go up and you socialize with these thousand investors, the only thing investors would talk to me and the other two CEOs about was, why did you guys choose to all wear dresses? What, what is this oh, whole man. female thing? Mm. And I will regret having done that forever. Um, but at the same time, it gave me an experience in the worst of this. Yeah. And so now I really value and appreciate yeah. how women are treated um, in the cannabis industry. Wow. I love that. Yeah. Um, and just to dive a little deeper on that particular subject, um, sort of hearing all over the place, women are the future of cannabis and it, this is going to be the first, you know, multi-billion dollar industry run by women. Um, are you that optimistic? How do you feel about those kind of statements? Yeah, you know what? I am optimistic because it's really, if you're in it now and you're really working hard to make it, we really believe people who are in it now are going to make it. You know, there's going to yeah. be a lot of a lot of consolidation over this next year, a lot of existential threats. Um, <laughs> but because this industry is founded on and by so many women, we really think a lot of those companies are going to have big success. Um, at the same time, you know, we are fundraising and traditional VCs are now getting involved in the game. Mm -hmm. And so there are more traditional 
stereotypes and attitudes that are starting to come into the industry, you know, with big ag coming in, with institutional investors. So it's really the responsibility of all of us on this side of the industry to make sure that our voices are heard and that we continue to be an important piece of the puzzle, not being sidelined while the industry really progresses. Yeah. Definitely. Good point. Great points. Um, so just to cap it off, can you give us a sneak preview into what you're going to be talking about um, this week? Is it tomorrow? Tomorrow. Mm -hmm. On your panel. Absolutely. So I'm not going to give you all the secrets. Um, <laughs> but so the panel that I'm on is about cannabis brands and investment. Um, and basically, we're taking a look at the different approaches that each kind of company has been taking. You know, there are companies who've been around for 10 years that were part of like the OG world of cannabis who made a fair amount of money and were able to bootstrap their own companies and grow and grow and grow. So there are some companies out there who have never taken an investment dollar. And so what does it mean to compete in a market for those brands? Um, you know. Yeah. Their margin matters so much more than what like a tech company does just operating in the red just to get growth to be acquired for a billion dollars. So there are companies out there that come from this really old, I'll call it old cannabis money <laughs> world. Um, and then there are companies out there who are basically like tech companies, you know, operating in the red, taking funding after funding after funding round um, with the goal of being a billion dollar exit no matter what the margin cost is leading up to there. Um, so those are kind of like the two extremes. And as Aster Farms, we're in the middle. Um, nice. We started the company with our own funds. We have raised a seed round that involved a lot of friends and funny. Uh, friends and funny. Friends, <laughs> friends and family. Funny friends, money. Funny there was a lot of clowns that showed yeah. up. Just with bags of cash. It's hilarious. <laughs> Best fundraising ever. <laughs> um, and we are getting close to raising an institutional round. So nice. for us, we're kind of in this middle um, middle of the road position where margin matters, but growth matters. And mm -hmm. so this is something, you know, it's interesting that I'm speaking on this panel because we don't have the answer yet at Astor Farms. We don't yeah. know which of those growth strategies are going to be long-term for us. Yeah. Um, so we're kind of straddling the line. Um, and so this, this panel will be really interesting to hear from people in each one of those categories, like why and how are you operating in the red to be the billion dollar company? Why and how are you operating on a profitable margin to maintain that company and grow? Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of interesting insights that come out of it. Definitely no answers for, you know, no, yeah. no definitive answers for yeah. the right way. I don't think there's a right way and a wrong way now. Um, but yeah, it should be pretty interesting. Yeah, I'll I'm actually excited. be there, so. Awesome. I'll get to do a follow-up for everybody of cool. that. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, really looking forward to it, and thank you so much for joining us, or for letting us join you yeah. in your hotel room here in Austin <laughs> at South by Southwest. Um, really interesting stuff, and I hope everybody learns a ton and gets to see you. And if they don't get to see your talk, then we will, as Casey Jones just said, have a follow-up. Yeah. So you'll get to learn about that as well. One quick question before we go. Mm -hmm. um, we kind of ha have started asking people this. Give us your one-year, five-year, and 10-year prediction Ooh. for the cannabis industry real quick. Yeah. Okay. What do you uh, think? You talked about exogenous variables, investment. You're kind yeah. of on that track. Where, where think, do you think we're headed? I think within one year, we're going to see some state-led uh, banking 
bills okay. um, being passed already. I mean, in at a federal level, there's the SAFE Act, um, which is about banking for cannabis companies. Yep. I don't think that's going to actually happen in the next year on a federal level, but I think that states that have been in this program for a while are going to start figuring out their own statewide banking um, opportunities. So I think that's in the next year. I think in five years, we are going to see federal prohibition end. Um, and it's going to be Ooh, really yeah, interesting because years. each state, the, the regulations are wildly different yep. and very regulated. So it's going to be really interesting to see how interstate commerce happens mm -hmm. when federal prohibition is over. 10 years, I think, in 10 years, you're going to know who the Budweiser of weed is. Yep. You're going to know who the Lagunitas of weed is, us. There you go. All right. The and Lagunitas will be, of weed, I like that. It will be a real industry that people are educated on and are, you know, incorporating into their life in a very um, health and wellness educated way. I, I like it. That. Perfect. Yeah. So crystal ball very much intact. Those, those <laughs> yeah. were good answers. A lot we'll of times see. people we'll see. <laughs> We'll come back in one, five, and ten years. Excellent. We'll redo it. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. And um, anything yeah. else? That's it. Come find us here at South by Southwest. We'll yeah. all be roaming around. And uh, definitely check out Julia's talk if you're in the neighborhood and you have the the chance to go over there. So she's got a super cute dog too. And she does have a super <laughs> cute dog. Will not be on the panel. <laughs> <laughs> too bad. Cool. Well, well, thank you for having us. Really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. definitely. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Well, this has been another episode of the Mary Jane Experience podcast. Check us out. Here we'll be here at South by Southwest all week. Hit us up if you have any questions or anything you want us to go check out. Yeah. Our Instagram is a great place to follow as well. The story is there. So we're at Mary Jane Experience. And we're also MaryJaneExperience.com. So. And how can people find you um, at Aster Farms? Yeah, AsterFarms.com um, or Aster Farms on Instagram. That is Aster with an A-S-T-E-R, named after a native wildflower in California. Oh, very cool. There you go. Well, follow them, follow us, and, and comment, like, subscribe, ask questions. We'll be here all week. Peace out, potheads. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Perfect, there you go. We What's the dog's name? The dog's name is Ashman. Ashman. <laughs> That's a great name. <laughs> Happened in college. I okay. was a sophomore, and I, this is actually a stone story. Nice. <laughs> it was a Perfect. rainy day. Oh, go on. Got a little stoned and went to play with dogs at the pet store, which is something you do when you're a little kid, but then your parents don't let you buy the dog. <laughs> uh, but in college, you can actually in get the dog. In college, you yeah. actually buy the dog. There it <laughs> and is. it was the best shopping mistake I ever made. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Nice. Dogs.